Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host, and this is episode 156. This week, we welcome back journalist and food writer Felicity Cloak, who you may know from her regular Guardian newspaper column, where she perfects a different recipe each week. Last year, Felicity spent a few months doing a kind of gastronomic tour de France as she cycled and ate her way around in search of 21 iconic French dishes. She's written a brilliant new book all about her adventures and we caught up to talk about the good and bad and ugly aspects of her epic cycling and eating expedition. So welcome back to the podcast, Felicity Cloak. Lovely to see you. And you. <laughs> um, we're here today to talk about your new book, One More Croissant for the Road, which is coming out this week. Um, could you just tell uh, people who are listening who might not have come across it what the concept for the book is? Okay, the concept for the book, it sounds very grandiose. It's a tour, a tour de France, but um, instead of being based around mountains and, you know, epic climbs and things like that, it's based around 21 classic dishes of French cooking. So um, it has everything from sort of tartiflette to um, uh, moule marinière or clafouti. And so I cycled around France yeah. collecting recipes. <laughs> um, basically, I cycled around France eating yeah. which was great. So that was the, the concept behind the book. Yeah. And how, how long did you spend cycling around France in the end? I was there in total for about six weeks. So, I mean, it's never long enough. No. I could, you know, I could spend a year cycling around France and still think that I missed yeah. out on eating, eating stuff. I mean, I've, I've read the book. Um, I was lucky enough to have an advanced copy. So when you say cycling around France, I, people have probably got in their heads this image of you just kind of pootling around, eating little bits and that, this and that, you know, having a lovely time. When in fact, you had a tent, your sleeping bag, everything you owned on the back of your bike and you slogged it around France, as in the whole of France in a massive circle, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I went full <laughs> Bear grills, um, but it wasn't quite sort of baguette in the basket no. sort of thing, which would have been lovely. Um but now the thing is, it turns out that France is quite a big place, which yes. I should have known, um, but was a bit of a revelation. It's the largest country in Western Europe, yeah. and my God, does it feel it. Um, so I didn't, I did, um, I think 2,000, I think about just shy of two and a half thousand kilometres. Wow. 
Um, but some of it, because it's so big and I had time constraints, um, you need to be in a certain place to meet people or to, um, you know, taste a certain dish for mm. opening hours. Um, I did end up getting some trains, but you know, in the Tour de France, between, they, they, they take, they take coaches. So and I, think people, I didn't feel like that was cheating. And people carry their stuff in the Tour de France as well. Exactly. People <laughs> in the Tour de France, they actually get their luggage taken upstairs by it for them. So they I was, I was slogging it around the whole of France. So I, I feel like my achievement is slightly slightly greater so did you literally plot it out as in i need to be in this place at this time you know did you yeah, plan out it, it was, was scheduled the logistics were quite stressful um you know in terms of um working out you know the opening hours in france are are quite strict as i worked out so you know most things are closed on mondays mm. lots of stuff closed on tuesdays as well everything shuts for lunch at noon so if you haven't got your lunch by noon or you haven't identified where you're going to eat lunch Mm. you are completely stuffed so this is so I'd always if I didn't have a restaurant earmarked for lunch I'd always try and find a boulangerie and pick up a baguette or something have emergency supplies because there were a couple of times that I ended up eating like chocolate crunch yeah Yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of um quite sorry quite amusing (laughs) chapters where you're sitting (laughs) under a tent and like a soaking wet tent being fed upon by mosquitoes and you've literally got half a bag of crisps oh. and, a, and a bit of chocolate for your dinner after like <laughs> cycling 160k yeah. up and down in the foothills foothills of the pyrenees and um when i arrived at the campsite and i was honestly half crazed i yeah. would have cried if it hadn't have, you know been the fact i'd run out of water and yeah. shouldn't really waste any um and then the woman said oh what are you going to eat tonight and i was like uh is there a pizzeria in the village she was like oh yeah but it's closed i was like great i said oh have you got a shop well we have but it only sells like scouring pads (laughs) and so i was like oh it's fine don't worry i've got chocolate and she came back i was putting up my tent and being eaten by mosquitoes and she came back about 15 minutes later with chris from my own house and i was like oh it's so nice (laughs) joy yeah everyone was almost everyone i met was a complete delight like they the french love cyclists they're sort of it's a much better place to cycle in general than the uk yeah um and they're just enthusiastic you know to see someone doing something especially a woman on her own yeah they were they were just they were i think a little bit puzzled but also quite Mm. into the idea so i got a lot of kindnesses so did you feel quite safe i mean you were i know you had friends along on some of the the stages of the journey but you you're on your own for quite a lot i mean did you ever think like oh my god (laughs) i the first night on my own which is also my first night camping because Mm. my friend who came with me didn't want to camp um so when he left I that was a weird feeling it was very exhilarating you know suddenly setting off on the open road but also (laughs) you know I got to a campsite and they gave me a little pitch right on my own and I suddenly thought it's very dark here (laughs) and this campsite's quite empty and it's raining Mm. and I don't know that suddenly did strike me I was quite vulnerable but I really quickly got used to it and people as I said people were very friendly Mm. um the French are very good at sort of you know even if you're brushing your teeth next to someone you say hello to them there's none of that quite sort of acknowledging yeah yeah standoffishness so I sort of almost felt Mm. I always felt that I was amongst friends um so not no, you know, I didn't have really have any scary moments to be honest. It you didn't was... have a little weapon hidden about yourself. No, but... I didn't. <laughs> I, I probably could have used my bite lock to knock someone mm. out. <laughs> I think you did have, wasn't it? Right at the beginning, they nearly confiscated your yes, little, um, that's your little true. knife. <laughs> so I took her along. I got this little Opinel 
sort of it's like a it's a steak knife actually. I bought it from a restaurant um, in the Alps a few years ago. Is it like a folding? One? Yeah, like a folding yeah, steak knife. I've got one knife. of those, and they're lethal. Or the blade on them is so sharp. And it, well, it's very useful for cutting like salami <laughs> yeah, and cheese and need. stuff. Um, but when I got onto the ferry, they scanned our luggage because <laughs> they pick on cyclists, I think. And um, and they said it was a dangerous weapon and I, they were going <laughs> to confiscate it. And I honestly, I started crying. Oh my God, well done. Because <laughs> I know it's not an offensive weapon. Yeah. They sell these in newsagents in France. This is ridiculous. <laughs> and so in the end, I think they thought I was causing a scene and they said, well, just never travel with it again. Okay. And I was like, okay, fine. Obviously, I went around France with it. No problem. It got scanned numerous times, you know, to go into museums and all it, yeah. French don't care. Like getting yeah. on the Eurostar, they were like, oh, of course you've got a salami knife in there why, why, <laughs> why would you why would you never why always travel you? with one yeah exactly <laughs> so that was yeah that was um that was a lesson learned you know don't take don't don't take any knives on british ferries <laughs> yeah i mean after reading the book it is quite a bonkers project to do like how did you how did the idea come to you so i was um i was i've, I've always liked cycling um, well, I, I mean, I love the fact that you you can eat a lot for a yeah. start when you cycle. <laughs> and I love the fact that you can really see a landscape. You feel yeah. it through, you know, you know that it, it's going up and down. You've got time to look, you know, the changing sort of the fields and the forests and, you know, the wildlife mm-hmm. and the villages. But you you cover enough distances that you can see it change. Um, so I've I've always really liked that. I love France. Um, and it just felt like a great way to explore it. And in 2017, a friend of mine, um, Carolyn Craig, was actually moving down to Provence, in fact, to write a cookbook about Provencal um, cooking, which I think is coming out quite it's soon. coming out soon, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so she was moving down there. Her family is from there. So she was doing that. And she said, I'm going to cycle there. And I said, like, <laughs> you're, you're mad. And suddenly I thought, why not? Why, why not join her? You know, yeah. what is stopping me? And so I just, yeah, we took, I think, three three weeks to cycle from Brittany down to the Mediterranean coast. Mm. I'd never had so much fun in my really? life. It was just wonderful. Like the food, the landscapes, the people. Just, you know, when you're on a bike, there's nothing to do but just pedal round and yeah. round. And that sounds like hard work if you don't cycle. Most of the time, you know, it's not like running where you have to, you know, put mm. one foot in front of the other the whole time. It's very mindless cycling. And that's yeah. what it's very sort of, it, it clears your head. And, you know, you have time to really look around you, which I which I enjoyed. Um, so, yeah, when I, I sort of came back from that thinking, I need to do that again. I yeah. need to find a way to go and do that. <laughs> and it'd be even better if I could call it work. Um, so, yeah, I just started pitching the idea yeah. from there. And I think that, Britain has got a lot more into cycling in the last few years Um, and you realise that you don't have to be a sort of really um, competitive um, you know cycle racer you can also do it for the love of it France is I think has a special place in many British hearts you know it's first place lots of us go abroad Mm. Um, you know who doesn't love classic French food it just seemed like the the perfect the perfect idea for a book yeah so how long was the um the actual how did you approach the actual planning of it like you know this is where I'm going to go this is this is the dishes that I'm going to choose because I think you said you've got 21 classic French dishes there Mm. like how long did that take you to do that that research and that was did take a while because French food um you know there's a lot of good stuff there it's not like (laughs) some cuisines where you're like oh god 21 great dishes um so that was quite hard I wanted an even 
geographical spread. Um, And I also wanted kind of a nice spread of familiar and, you know, not from, you know, some stuff like, um, say, Mill Marinier, we all know what it is. Other stuff, um, like, say, Shukrut, that is from near the German border, I think is less well known to us. So I wanted to sort of explore different parts. Yeah, Yeah, to not just have like the things that are very well known in this country already, but to also Mm. say these are a big, big deal in France and this is why. Um, and so, yeah, I got an enormous map of France, um, went down to Stanford's in Covent Garden and bought a big map of France and just stuck little sort of post-it notes yeah. everywhere. Going, here, here. Um, this is, you know, it's a good thing down, here. Yeah. Yeah. How many districts did you start off with and whittle down to 21? Um, there are about, maybe about twice that number right. that I thought <clears> of doing. And then, as I said, France is such a big place yeah. that I, I had to look like what was feasibly possible and so she said I did a big loop I mean there's so much in the center of the country yeah. that I missed out I'd love to go back and do um <laughs> and this whole thing's like Provence I love Provence so much um and, and that's a whole kind of yeah, book in itself it's a whole book in itself yeah. and I didn't get the, you know I zipped along the Cote d'Azur which was a lovely thing to do yeah. <laughs> but you know I didn't go into Provence proper so I'd like to go and do that yeah. and so there's, there's a lot more it's a work in progress but I'm, I'm pretty happy with the spread of dishes that I've got but even like within the dishes there's so many variations isn't mm-hmm. there because you talk about that in some of the chapters yeah. about like you'll think you know what a dish is yeah. and then everyone will start arguing about it oh god yeah I mean it was like say a quiche Lorraine yeah um which I first of all I certainly I and I think most people in this country think of quiche quite a summary dish yeah. you take on a picnic when I got to Lorraine they said um oh no you won't find it it's a winter dish you won't find it in June <laughs> I was like what and they said yeah yeah you know it's the kind of thing that you'd have for dinner mm. with your family in October or November yeah, yeah. I was like, oh okay so that was a bit of a disaster I did find some in a bakery but I, I feel like I was definitely there at the wrong time of year <laughs> how would I know that um, and then also, of course, no cheese in a yeah. quiche Lorraine. It's like absolute just no, no, no onions. Like, you know, it should be a really rich plain custard with just lardon. But, you know, whether you're allowed to put nutmeg in it yeah. and, you know, whether you blind bake it or not. It's yeah, lots yeah, of sort yeah. of little, such a simple dish. It's a lot of arguing about it. And what I love about France is that they have these little brotherhoods that are, <laughs> you know, obsessives about almost any dish you can think of. There'll be a, a little group of pe- men and women <laughs> who um, have ceremonial robes and they have an organisation. Love a ceremonial robe. They do. <laughs> Honestly, it's, they look like some sort of, you know, the stonecutters in The Simpsons. Yeah. They had that sort of sinister <laughs> organisation. They have that. I was in a museum to um, breed a mo in Mo. Yeah. Suddenly these guys came in that look honestly I they look like the stone cutters they had these enormous crushed velvet hats on white crushed velvet hats that were meant to represent rounds of brie they had white flowing <laughs> robes and they were the the I think it was the grand duke of the brotherhood of Brie de Meaux oh and some of his henchmen oh yeah because you got to do a tasting with them didn't you I got you? to do a private tasting with these but, guys but you just literally gate crushed it I you gate, yeah, yeah. It was they were so nice they yeah. were like oh a foreigner that we can tell about our cheese yeah, yeah. so we had a little she's really interested yeah. I said oh we make brie you know in the UK we make yeah. some really good brie and they were kind of kind about our brie but they said it's all in the terroir you know you need yeah, to have that the you know and the, the grazing and the, land yeah. and so you know it wasn't that they said that our brie was rubbish mm-hmm. but I got the general sense that they were um they, you know they they would go to the death for brie de yeah. Mo, I would say stick around to hear more from Felicity including what makes the perfect croissant 
can we talk about your food museum obsession? Because <laughs> I went on a trip to Cork with Felicity and I noticed on the itinerary on the Monday morning was going to the Butter Museum and I was like, I'm not going to the Butter Museum. I've got to go and find some really good coffee shops to like recommend for a travel guide. So you tooled off to the Butter Museum and it wasn't until I read this book that I thought, oh my God, she's obsessed with museums. And the, <laughs> the stranger the museum, the better. I love a weird museum. I mean, I can heartily, off topic, heartily recommend the Butter Museum in Cork. It's excellent. Yeah, I kind of wish I'd gone now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I mean, France is full of these strange little Properly museums too. like niche as well. Yeah, so the um, the funniest one that I came across, there was the Brie Museum, which yeah. was, was good value. A lot of um, old Brie packaging through mm. the ages, which I enjoyed. Um, but the funniest one was in the Loire Valley, the mm. Apple Tapping oh, the Museum. Apple ta- I loved that. And what I was surprised about, one, was that we weren't <laughs> the only people at the Apple Tapping Museum. It was full. It, it was, was full you know, it was, <laughs> it was a big party ahead of us. <laughs> Um, the Apple Tapping Museum said there was an industry when phylloxera devastated the um, local vineyards mm. in the 19th century, they turned to um, f- other fruit instead. Yeah. And they had these, they said what they did with the apples was they dried them in an oven, but also they had people hitting them with a little <laughs> hammer. Like, I think it took about four days yeah. and they kept hitting them at regular intervals until they were like this squashed, dried yeah. apple. <laughs> Um, it was very compact and then you could take it to sea or whatever as sort of a portable source of vitamin C. Yeah. An entire museum <laughs> devoted to this. Quite cottage industry. Yeah. Um, that was absolutely hilarious. And it I think was... each museum is quite... Um, they tend to have an instructional video or some mm. kind of actor telling yes. you the story yeah. of. Yeah, there's been money put into these museums. <laughs> I mean, even if you don't go, I would advise uh, maybe having a look at the TripAdvisor reviews for these because they are also quite funny. Yeah. Um, some people love the museum. Some people are a little bit disappointed by um, a large cave in Loire Valley with a display <laughs> of apple corers. Yeah. And I think you had like, there was the the Ham Museum as well, which had kind of happy pigs. Yeah, so many photos of (laughs) happy pigs before they were made into ham. Um, Lots of inspirational quotes about the, you know, the position of, this was down in Bayonne, near the Spanish border, about the position of the Basque pig Mm. in local culture. And so they're just very, very proud still of their local food traditions in a way that's definitely, you know, become much more the case in this country recently but in France it never went away Mm. and they are properly they shout about it Mm. and they make a big deal of it and that was great you know for someone traveling around writing a book it was ideal yeah I think um another quite amusing bit was where you you sort of tricked a friend of yours um to go to to try and go to the oyster museum because you because it was really it was signposting and you were like oh look we just happened to have come across the oyster museum (laughs) Um, luckily for him, it was shut because <laughs> you'd said it was one and a half hour tour that you were getting really excited about. <laughs> I was thinking this girl is nuts. Um, but just thinking about oysters, there's a great um, chapter where you go and track down. Um, which which area was that again? Where the oysters, where you ate the giant horse oh, hoof so oyster? That is Cancal, which yeah. is in Brittany, quite near Saint Malo, yeah, for its seafood. Yeah, and oysters particularly, it's a massive industry there because the Bay of Mont Saint Michel, where mm. you know the famous um, island is, yeah, um, has very sh- very. Um, Minerally? Uh, no. no, it's the tides. Oh, like are, the tidals. A, yeah, yeah, there's a great tidal, you know, difference between the tide going in and out. Yeah. So it's, as it was explained to us by the oyster <laughs> experts, 
Um, because the other, luckily the Oyster Museum did open after lunch. Oh, you so did. We did get our tour <laughs> you did get after to see all. It. Yeah. Explained to us that because of the tides um being very strong, mm. um, it really works the oyster muscle because oh, okay. they have to spend a lot of time keeping their shell closed yeah. when the tides out. Um and so um they make particularly good oysters there or grow particularly good yeah. oysters. Um and they have in Kankal, which is quite a small village on the coast, obviously, um, they have an oyster market mm. um, just on the quay and just little stalls selling oysters that to the untrained eye, i.e. me, because <laughs> I haven't been to the museum yet. They all look the same. And I was wandering around thinking, how do I pick between all of yeah. these oysters? Like, you know, if it's a cheese market, I've got an idea of what I'm looking for, but yeah. with oysters... So I just went for the biggest one, <laughs> yeah. find, which was a mistake, actually. I think the guy told you it was 15 years 15 old, years which made me feel really sad because that guy had been growing and you had to cut it into six well, sections to eat. had to, to give eat. me, so in general, it they just give terrifying. you like a little wooden fork yeah. and you eat it, you know, out of, you know, sitting on the seawall, you chuck the shell back onto the beach yeah. where it becomes sand again. Um, and it's all very casual. And but this one, he said, oh, Madame, I'm going to have to give you my knife to cut this oyster <laughs> because you won't be able to do it with the little wooden fork. And I thought, oh, what have I got myself yeah. into here? An oyster that needs cutting with a proper metal knife. Yeah. Um, so that was a little bit concerning. And it was, it was huge. It was about the size probably of a digestive biscuit, but quite deep as well. Mm, chewy. And yeah, I just, I found the whole thing slightly off-putting and I didn't eat any other oysters I don't think for the entire trip. <laughs> I felt like I'd had enough with that oyster. You're not a woman who's scared of a food challenge though, are you? I've never seen you like kind of, even when no. someone's put something weird down in front of you, you're like, yeah, yeah, come on. I'll try, I'd say that I'd try anything once. Yeah. So the oyster, I tried, the massive oyster, I tried once. But you wouldn't go back there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back for the big oyster because mm. I think that actually the flavour is better with the small yeah. ones. Um, but say down in um, Lyon, mm. where they're very famous for the, got these restaurants called Bouchon, which are sort of quite rustic um, food, wine straight from the barrel, really yeah. good fun. Um, and they serve a lot of sort of deep fried tripe and these andouillettes, which are the sausages that famous are not sausages. for the faint hearted. No. They smell. Um, they're quite farmyardy. They're they? very. Kind I mean, farmyardy is the polite way of putting it. Um, <laughs> like something you swept off the farmyard floors. Mm, you know. Yes. Let's stop there. But anyway, so I've I had them before. But I knew that I had to try them again because they're a big deal in Lyon yeah. and I felt like national pride was at stake. So <laughs> luckily I wasn't on my own. I had a crack team actually of eaters that yeah. were assembled. Only my pregnant friend Ali was excused from eating everything. <laughs> I gave her dispensation. Everyone else had to eat everything. And we got the andouillette and actually, I don't know, it came in a mustard sauce yeah. and it was quite delicious. Once you, Once you sort of make peace with the idea that texturally it's not like a you know a very smooth it's not like a frankfurter or something where it's no. very smooth there's lots of different bits bits in what that is it actually, what's it actually made of it's um sort of it so it's sort of in intestine and other other organs so there's yeah. a few tubes and fronds and stuff but it's once, not entry level offal though is it it's, it's proper like no i mean <laughs> You know, it, it's not. If you want entry level offer, I would say go for the sweetbreads, which right. are everywhere in France. It just tastes like poached bland. chicken, as far yeah. as I can tell. There, yeah. you know, if you want to show off and be brave, yeah. but not actually be that brave, go for sweetbreads. They literally just taste like chicken. Um, anyway, so we had the sausage, and I thought it was quite nice. Yeah. But then I just thought that 
I bet British people order those sausages the whole time and don't finish them. Yeah. So I made us all eat every, every last bit. bite of sausage. <laughs> we are not leaving. Yeah. No one is leaving this table until the sausage is finished. And did they look impressed at your... Uh... Or were they, they were, just like there, they weren't bothered? I think they were impressed by the amount of wine we drank, really? to be honest. <laughs> to get it down. <laughs> the Brits were arrived. But I mean, it's not just a case of, you know, eating something that is not necessarily that lovely to eat. It's also that in the pursuit of, you know, knowing exactly what the dish is about, I think there was a, there was a time you ate uh, beef bourguignon for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Well, I think you had it three I meals in know, a I row. D- I, didn't, I didn't have it for breakfast, but, but only a, because in France, you, you know, wouldn't you get wouldn't, it. You yeah, wouldn't course, find, find you it for breakfast. And very lunch strict, um, what you're allowed for breakfast. I would eat beef bourguignon for breakfast <laughs> here if I had it. Um, anyway, so yeah, I definitely had it three other meals in a row, lunch, dinner, lunch the next day, I think. Yeah. And it was very hot, actually, when mm. we were in Burgundy. It rained for the first three weeks yeah. and then it became incredibly hot. And to be honest, the last thing I wanted in the midday sun <laughs> um, on a bike was to eat a really hot, savoury, rich stew. But because I am a professional, I ate that stew and everyone else was having salads and delicious things like that. I ate the stew. Um, and finally, the last one I had was the the best, and I was pleased that I persevered in having this. With yeah, it. but I did the same with Cassoulet down in the southwest. Yeah. I had the three. So there are three towns that are famous for their Cassoulet: yeah. uh, Toulouse, Castelnaudary, and Carcassonne. And I had one in each of those. Wow! And um, it's quite heavy. Dish, I was going to say Cassoulet is not because you've got is several different types of meat. Lots of different on meats, you are. Lots of beans. beans. They frown upon you having a salad with it, but I just courted their disapproval. Why do they I, frown on it? Uh, because you know you don't need anything else, Madame. It is a complete meal, and I just I just want some <laughs> green stuff. That was the thing that I missed. Um, that if you eat out in restaurants in France, it's mm. relatively difficult to get fresh veg. It just is not a thing. Um, it's not what you go out for. <laughs> no. And so because I was always eating in restaurants, I began to sort of fantasize about salads and, you know, buy tomatoes mm. just to eat like apples by the side of the road yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff. But um, so I always had a, I always had lettuce with my cassoulet and everyone looked at me like a mad woman. But I thought, you know, mad dogs and Englishmen. <laughs> There's a kind of talking about restaurants. There is a there's a there's a theme of kind of mild panic throughout the book about you about you actually getting to restaurants on time for whatever it is that you need to get there to try yes. because you have to move on yeah. the next day and you have you can't come back for lunch or no exactly there was you know there was was a theme that I turned up at places and they said oh sorry madame come back tomorrow and yeah I'm like, oh, come back tomorrow <laughs> gonna be halfway across the country by tomorrow um so in the the Loire Valley or just sort of uh, east of the Loire Valley, a place called Salon, which is just uh, south west of Paris. Mm. Um, it's a place where Tarte Tartin was invented. And for once, we've got a proper origin story for Tarte Tartin. We yeah. know exactly where it was invented at the Hotel Tartin in a place called La Motte Beuvron. And um, I really wanted to go to the restaurant for dinner, obviously, and eat the Tarte Tartin. Mm. Um and I realised that actually the restaurant is only open like three nights a, day, nights a week for dinner. Um, and so I was going to have to come back because I needed to be somewhere else, you know, in a week. I had to reluctantly abandon it and then come back um, in. So I, I was in France from late May into 
the beginning of July. Mm. I had to come back, do a little second leg in September <laughs> with a new group of people just to go and try this ta 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 ta. That is proper dedication, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It was a nice to have an excuse to go back to France, yeah. to be honest. I was like, this is great. I mean, you mentioned the opening hours before. Were you quite thwarted by the opening hours thing? Yes, that was the hardest, I think, the hardest thing. And this includes the fact that the entire French railway was on strike yeah. that summer. <laughs> and the fact that oh, while Britain was basking in a heat wave, yeah, it was... Southern Europe and France was <laughs> under the worst, you know, the worst weather ever. Um so that was problematic, but the most the most problematic thing was that just they have such very strict opening hours. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, I think that's a nice thing. Mm. I think it's great that supermarkets are only open on Sunday mornings. You know, you've got the chance to go and do it, yeah. but then you, Sunday afternoons you don't yeah. have that option. Um, it's not that great if you're a traveller and <laughs> you've got nothing to eat for dinner because nothing else is open on a Sunday. So it just, it was a ma matter of getting used to it. And once I got used to it... Yeah. I, in general, was fine with it. But I still got, you know, on my penultimate day, I got caught out by this and ended up eating the weirdest meal ever about three o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon, um, you know, off my lap in a beauty spot. Because <laughs> you also said that actually, even the ones who post their opening hours online, they don't stick no. to them. I'd say that never trust a French website because <laughs> they're always, they're almost always out of date. You know, it's just not... Things aren't online quite so much yeah. as we're used to here. Um, and things are much more at the whim of the proprietor. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't there in August, but, you know, bear in mind everything closed in yeah, August. Yeah, I, I went to Barcelona once in August. That mm. was a mistake. Yeah. I, I, had a, I had a list of about 15 restaurants and I think uh, two of them were open. The yeah. rest just closed. Yeah, completely. it was just extraordinary. I was in um, the Alps in Morzine, which is quite a big town. Um and it was the middle of June and I could not, I took everything that I'd wanted yeah. to go to to eat Tartaflex oh, no. closed. It's <laughs> heartbreaking as well, I isn't know, it? I know, I know, I know. I was desperate. I was like, Someone feed me some potatoes, please. The other thing that um, struck me was because we live in London, uh, there's this kind of mad feverish thing to kind of, you know, places where you, where everyone wants to mm. eat, queuing for stuff, getting there early, like getting your spot and there's a bit where you go and eat mu mussels at Lacal, um and you kind of do this ridiculous house on fire dive to grab a table and then realise that there's no one behind you. I feel, I feel embarrassed about that now. <laughs> I love um, it. But I just, I was still, it was, I think, two or been, three days in. We've been in. trained. Like, exactly. The anxiety of, am I going to get a table? Am exactly. I going to get a table? Yeah. I just assumed, you know, I'd found this in lots of guides and recommendations yeah. that this was the place to eat more marinara. Yeah. It's a little place on the beach, you know, idyllic. They've got a wood fire where they do other stuff, you know, like great joints of meat and sausages and stuff, mm. but more was the thing to have. So I assumed it actually was French Mother's Day as well. So yeah. I thought it's going to be very busy. And there were a lot of people, a lot of cars in the car park, a lot of people just hanging around. So naturally, I assumed that it was going to be every man for himself <laughs> when the place actually Elbows opened. Out. So I ran as soon as I saw, I waited because it was closed because we got there so early. Um, and then I saw someone come out for a cigarette. And so I like left on him and said, you know, are you, are you open yet? And he was like, okay, madame, fine. Yeah, just go and find yourself a table. So I ran in and I was like waving to my friends like, on the beach. <laughs> going, come table, in now, come table. in. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then no one else appeared for about 15 minutes. <laughs> 
I think we've we've just been conditioned. Yeah. In Paris, it was the same. I thought that I went to a bakery in Paris. So I did a little croissant mission in Paris. Yeah. um, And a place that had been voted sort of the best croissant in Paris um, using a particular, you know, all butter croissant in Paris. And so I cycled there very early on a Saturday morning. Um, and I thought I saw a queue outside and I was like, quick, quick, lock the bike up. You know, yeah, I don't want to have to run. wait for too long because I've got five other petitories yeah. <laughs> to go to. And when I sort of rushed in, I realised that there were just people standing outside having a cup of coffee. And <laughs> actually there actually were three queuing. people in the queue. And I was oh like, my okay, God. <laughs> try and style this out. I literally just run in like my house is on fire. Um, you know, it would have been worth queuing for. That was a good question. Yeah, that was but, a good one. You know, no one in Paris, apparently. The boulangeries are so good. A friend of mine um, who lives there said, you just wouldn't travel. You wouldn't. It's wouldn't, not worth the yeah. price of a metro ticket because no. you've always got a good boulangerie around the corner. Yeah. Can we finish up by talking about croissants? Because anybody who follows Felicity on Instagram will know croissant watch is part <laughs> of your thing. Um, yeah. I think you must have tried, you certainly tried practically everyone in London haven't you I mean, I mean I feel you've, like you've made are... a good dent in yeah it's a work it's definitely a work, a work in, in progress because people are often recommending yeah. them to me I've definitely tried I think every croissant in north London that's that's worth trying north yeah. east London um although all applications welcome yeah. <laughs> um and it's funny because I didn't like croissants for a long time or I thought I didn't like croissant mm. because you know I'd had the um some supermarket ones certainly you know when I was growing Which up they weren't very good soft, yeah very soft of, yeah. and a bit sweet and it's not really the kind of thing that I enjoy um and then I had a proper croissant yeah. and realized that I really did it's like them, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. And so I just thought what well, I started it actually on the 2017 cycle ride, just because it's the thing that you get everywhere in yeah. France, a, you know, a pure butter croissant, yeah. every single boulangerie will have it. Um, and so it just seemed an interesting way because I'm a real food nerd. I like to sort of look at, yeah. you know, pull things apart and work out what's good and what's not. Um some people might say take the joy out of it but for me that is the joy um and so I just yeah I really um I just started doing it and then it became a little bit of an obsession (laughs) so what I mean talk us through the criteria you said there about the the Aubert croissants because in France I think they do want a traditional one with margarine don't they yeah so the um croissant sometimes called nature and it's usually curved um, and the butter croissants are straight. But also like the little crescent shape yeah, that we're all really so familiar that, with. Yeah, yeah, so that's that's the margarine one in general. And they're a little bit cheaper. And um, I obviously I like the taste of butter, yeah. so I'm, I'm keener on the butter ones. Um, but yeah, the, you don't see the margarine ones quite so much no. anymore. Okay. So, um, so what are your top, let's say like top three four things that you're looking for in like what what do you need to get an eight or a nine out of ten <laughs> come on like let's just drill down into this so and this is definitely my personal preference because yeah. you know a perfect croissant technically should have lots of you know really distinct um yeah. layers in it it should be i think probably really quite light i actually prefer them when they're slightly squidgier yeah. in the middle because i find they can be a little bit dry if they've got two because i think perfect... you said in the past that sometimes you get i know a lot a lot of those like super um is it like supermoon in new york and stuff like a lot of really high-end bakeries they have these croissants that look like 
the most perfect thing mm. in the world, but they might not necessarily. So you're more about the flavor than the the look. I'm, I'm definitely more about the flavor than. The, I mean, the look actually oddly because I often think if I go into a bakery and I'm waiting, yeah, I often you know I make a judgment Check them out. about yeah. the croissant. <laughs> and I'm thinking I don't think it's you're going to be good. Ju- watch out if she walks you, in your bakery. She's, <laughs> she's eyeing up those croissants. Yeah. And you can I I did think that you can often tell, yeah. but I've been since <laughs> since Proven eating wrong. all of these croissants, yeah. I've realised it's actually quite hard to tell from the outside. Mm. Um, what it's going to be like. So the looks aren't really that aren't no. that important in quassel terms for me. Um, what I really like is a a good buttery flavour. Yeah. I don't like them to be too sweet, um, but to have a, you know quite distinctive, not a bland flavour. Yeah. Um, I like them to be a bit squidgy in the middle, but I like the ends to be really crisp and the base to be crisp as well. Um, and you know. Don't like them to be too massive because you know sometimes you want to get something else from the mm-hmm. as well. So when you say squidgy in the middle, do you mean kind of like slightly? Du- I mean, you've used the word damp before yeah, for like the inside, damp, it's like, like almost maybe doughy, which I'm sure is uh, could be seen as a technical fault. Yeah. But I think because the ends are much thinner, they tend to dry yeah. out a lot more. So it's a nice sort of textural contrast. You know, when you you pull apart a croissant with your hands, yeah, yeah, and, and that's it what's kind really nice to get. Always do yeah. the ends for. Like, exactly. So you're ne- you're never going to be the person that slices it in half and butters no, it. No, I mean that is. <laughs> you should uh, see her face. She's like, what <laughs> beasts? Honestly, um, no, or people that I seen a lot of people in quite hipster bakeries um certainly near me in london and they will cut the croissant in half with a knife so they can get a picture for instagram of that perfect oh, lamination. lamination and just no. looking at them going you are yeah heathens just attack <laughs> it attack, just yeah. attack it with your hands exactly. like a normal exactly. person come on take a picture and then eat it don't yeah. be faffing about with it well some great tips there for attacking croissants um Thank you so much for coming and talking to us today. Oh, thank you so much for letting me come to your lovely North London flat, meet Wilf. <laughs> Wilf sitting between us as we're recording, yeah. Wilf's um, Felicity's dog. And um, one more croissant for the road is out, I believe it's next week because your party's it's out on, on Monday, the 13th. The 13th, so yeah. yeah, which I think is um, Thursday. Thursday. Yeah. And then this, um, yeah, this, this bit of the day after. So, yeah, thanks again for coming to speak to us. Pleasure. Thank you. So that was the Old Magazine podcast. If you like this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd really love to hear from you. If you'd like to find out more information on things in this episode, you can visit our website, olivemagazine.com. You can pick up a copy of our new June issue on the newsstand now, or go download the app version. Bye for now, and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat. <laughs>